As I mentioned yesterday, uh, as in the um, uh, Satipatthana book, it's speaking about uh, the role of uh, concentration, absorption, uh, uh, and its uh, involvement with Satipatthana, mindful, uh, the foundations of mindfulness. I thought I would read this particular section of one of uh, Umpochar's teachings that um, relates to the same area. So this is from a talk called Clarity of Insight. Louder. A further aspect of mental development that leads to clearer and deeper insight is meditating on an object to calm the mind down. The calm mind is the mind that is firm and stable in samadhi. This can be kanika samadhi, momentary concentration, upachara samadhi, neighborhood concentration, or appana samadhi, absorption. The level of concentration is determined by the refinement of consciousness from moment to moment as you train the mind to maintain awareness on a meditation object. In kanika samadhi, momentary concentration, the mind unifies for just a short space of time. It calms down in samadhi, but having gathered together momentarily, it immediately withdraws from that peaceful state. As concentration becomes more refined in the course of meditation, many similar characteristics of the tranquil mind are experienced at each level. So each one is described as a level of samadhi, whether it is kanika, pachara, or appana. At each level the mind is calm, but the depth of the, of the samadhi varies, and the nature of the peaceful mental state experience differs. On one level, the mind is still subject to movement and can wander, but moves around within the confines of the concentrated state. It doesn't get caught in activity that leads to agitation and distraction. Your awareness might follow a wholesome mental object for a while before returning to settle down at a still point uh, at a point of stillness where it remains for a period you could compare the experience of kanika samadhi with a physical activity like taking a walk somewhere you might walk for a period before stopping for a rest and having rested start walking again until it's time to stop for another rest. Even though you interrupt the journey periodically to stop walking and take rests, each time remaining completely still, it's only ever a temporary stillness of the body. After a short space of time, you have to start moving again to continue the journey. This is what happens within the mind as it experiences such a level of concentration. If you practice meditation focusing on an object to calm the mind and reach a level of calm where the mind is, in, is firm in samadhi but there is still some mental movement occurring that is known as upachara samadhi. In upachara samadhi the mind can still move around. This movement takes place within certain limits. The mind doesn't move beyond them. The boundaries within which the mind can move are determined by the firmness and stability of concentration. The experience is as if you alternate between a state of calm and a certain amount of mental activity. The mind is calm some of the time and active for the rest. Within that activity there is still a certain level of calm and concentration that persists but the mind is not completely still or immovable. It's still thinking a little and wandering about. It's like you are wandering around inside your own home. You wander around within the limits of your concentration, without losing awareness 
and moving outdoors away from the meditation object. The movement of the mind stays within the bounds of wholesome, kusala, mental states. It doesn't get caught into any mental proliferation based on unwholesome mental states. Any thinking remains wholesome. Once the mind is calm, it necessarily experiences wholesome mental states from moment to moment. During the time it is concentrated, the mind only experiences wholesome mental states and periodically settles down to become completely still and one-pointed on its object. These are two very tangible images that uh, Lumpochara is using. So Kanika Samadhi, uh, walking through the countryside and then stopping and being still, taking a rest uh, for a moment uh, now and then, and but uh, otherwise sort of continuing on along your journey. So those those moments of stopping, taking a rest, are what he's referring to as as Kanika or uh, momentary Samadhi. And then this other image of um, being inside your own home, just that you're staying within the, the walls of your own home. Uh, you might s- uh, stop and sit down in a chair and be still, uh, or you get up and walk around, but you're walking around within the, the boundaries, within the limits of your own home. And, um, and, and as he says, e- even within the, that boundary, then the mind is only paying attention to, uh, to wholesome mental states. The... Um, uh, another image that he often uses in, in Thailand, in, in the villages, when you have a chicken, you don't want the chicken to wander around. They make this uh, type of hooped basket. It's like a, a, a sort of a, a hemisphere, a sort of a, a half sphere type shape woven of, of open um, bamboo slats. So it's probably about um, 60 or 70 centimeters across and, and probably... 40 or 50 centimeters high, so that the chicken can, sits uh, within that little space. It can it can get up and move around. It can sit down and and um, and settle, but it's bounded within that that limit of the um, uh, the the corp, the the the, uh, the the boundary of the um, of the little bamboo cage. And so that's uh, also an image that Lumpocha would uh, would use to represent. Uh, samadhi in this way, so the, the the chicken is basically is not doing a lot of wandering. It's got a uh, a um, a very clear limit that it has to stay within, but it can get up and it can turn around and it can sit down again. But it's it's definitely within the bounds of its um, its uh, what they call a cop or the the, the limit the 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 the, the, um, the that particular framework. So the mind still experiences some movement, circling around its object. It can still wander. It might wander around within the confines set by the level of concentration, but no real harm arises from this movement because the mind is calm in samadhi. This is how the development of the mind proceeds in the course of practice. In aprana samadhi, that's the... um, access concentration or entering into um, absorption uh, like uh, up, upana, like uh, sotapana like the the um, stream enter like entering the stream as entering the the um, concentration upana samadhi the mind calms down and is stilled to a level where it is at its most subtle and skillful even if you experience sense impingement from the outside such as sounds and physical sensations, it remains external and is unable to disturb the mind. So, um, as we were talking about, uh, uh, is it, uh, some people have the opinion that any kind of jhana, it's impossible to, to sense anything. Uh, but uh, uh, Ajahn Chah's description here is that you know, as the, the, the mind um, enters into the absorption, that as he says, the... Um, uh, such as sound, there might be the experience impinging from outside, such as sounds and physical sensations, but it remains external and is unable to disturb the mind. You might hear a sound, but it won't distract your concentration. There is the hearing of the sound, but the experience is as if you don't hear anything. There is awareness of the impingement, but it's as if 
you are not aware. This is because you let go. The mind lets go automatically. Concentration is so deep and firm that you let go of attachment to sense impingement quite naturally. The mind can absorb into this state for long periods. Having stayed inside for an appropriate amount of time, it then withdraws. Sometimes, as you withdraw from such a deep level of concentration, a mental image of some aspect of your own body can appear. It might be a mental image displaying an aspect of the unattractive nature of your body that arises into consciousness, and as the mind withdraws from the refined state, the image of the body appears to emerge and expand from within the mind. Any aspect of the body could come up as a mental image and fill up the mind's eye at that point. Images that come up in this way are extremely clear and unmistakable. You have to have genuinely experienced very deep tranquility for them to arise. You see them absolutely clearly, even though your eyes are closed. If you open your eyes and you can't see them, but with eyes shut and with the mind absorbed in samadhi, you can see such images as clearly as if viewing the object with eyes wide open. You can even experience a whole train of consciousness, where from moment to moment the mind's awareness is fixed on images expressing the unattractive nature of the body. The appearance of such images in a calm mind can become the basis for insight into the impermanent nature of the body, as well as into its unattractive, unclean and unpleasant nature, or into the complete lack of any real self or essence within it. When these kinds of special knowledge arise, they provide the basis for skillful investigation and the development of insight. You bring this kind of insight right inside your heart. As you do this more and more often, it becomes the cause for insight knowledge to arise by itself. Sometimes, when you turn your attention to reflecting on the subject of asuba, or the, the unbeautiful, unattractive quality of the body, images of different unattractive aspects of the body can manifest in the mind automatically. These images are clearer than any you should try to summon up with your imagination and lead to insight of a far more penetrating nature than that gained through the ordinary kind of discursive thinking. This kind of clear insight has such a striking impact that the activity of the mind is brought to a stop, followed by the experience of a deep sense of dispassion. The reason it is so clear and piercing is that it originates from a completely peaceful mind. Investigating from within a state of calm leads you to clearer and clearer insight, the mind becoming more peaceful as it is increasingly absorbed in the contemplation. The clearer and more conclusive the insight, the deeper inside the mind penetrates with its investigation, constantly supported by the calm of samadhi. This is what the practice of kamatana involves. Continuous investigation in this way helps you to repeatedly let go sorry uh, helps you to re repeatedly let go of and ultimately destroy attachment to personality view it brings an end to all remaining doubt and uncertainty about this heap of flesh we call the body and the letting go of blind attachment to rules and practices so I'll leave that um reading there. So this, uh, in this particular instance, he's, uh, Lumpur Chah is talking about um, the images that uh, can arise relating to the body and the unattractive nature of the body, but it can be that, um, well, can be that no images arise at all, which is uh, probably most, most often the case, but also it can be other images uh, appear that ha have a completely different nature. So uh, somebody, um, a person might experience a uh, an image of a of a of a Buddha, or it might just be a a, a light, uh, say um, of a particular color that is sort of green or purple or yellow or white. And so, um, different um, mental images can can easily arise at that at that time. So, uh, also uh, Ajahn Chah would generally encourage people not to make too much of that. I haven't prepared another uh, quotation from him, but he. He often would say things like, you know, if images arise, those kind of perceptions, don't make anything of them, don't uh, 
just know them as things that are impermanent and unsatisfactory and not self and don't uh, don't feel like you uh, <coughs> that, that you have to say understand exactly what they mean or that they are something special or uh, or to to make anything uh, of them that, that our minds can easily create uh, images of this kind but he said when uh, when they arise from a very quiet, peaceful mind, then they have a, a very particular character. So it's not just like, say, remembering a, a house where you lived when you were a child, or remembering a um, uh, a Dhamma talk uh, when uh, Lumpur Sumedha was here on his birthday or something. It's like, it's not just a, a remembering that something happened with a, 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 a sort of rough mental image, but it's like, a, as he said, it's a, a sort of clear, distinct. Um, uh, 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 mental picture. So personally, I very, very, very rarely ever experience anything like that. So I usually, if I'm seeing anything, it's just the back of my eyelids. So uh, Lumpur Sumedho is quite different. He has a very visual uh, mind, and so he can actually create particular colors or images at will. So um, he used to entertain himself quite a bit in the early days. So he would imagine the words let go so written in large say pink letters and then he kind of do a green board around the outside and then have flashing lights let go let go and you could imagine that the shape of the of the words and the color and this um and kind of adjust you know it's like if you're on a computer screen uh, you know adjusting the color balance of a picture it's okay a bit more you know a bit more red a bit more blue <laughs> a bit more green and so he seemingly he could just adjust his mental imagery at, at will like that so that's completely um, uh, foreign to me I, I, that's not something I, I can do at all But so uh, um, sometimes the mental images appear that have ha- have uh, no apparent meaning like sometimes people will see faces of strangers or well who you know who's that who are the who are these these people that are appearing in my meditation and and so there can be kind of no particular meaning or association, uh, um, and so uh, I would encourage uh, again not to make anything out of that, or or, or say that it's um, oh I've got to know who these people are, or is this some kind of prediction, or is this a past life memory, or is this somebody I saw on the street, or just uh, there's no need to make anything of it, but just rather to to know this is just faces. That's all. <laughs> And so sometimes those, if those mental images arise from a state of strong concentration, they can, they can have no particular or apparent meaning. Sometimes they can have a quite a distinct message. As I said, I, I very, very rarely experience these kind of things. But um, uh, I just was remembering as I was reading that how um, uh, back in 1988, I spent the rains retreat in the forest at Chithurst. In those days. Uh, there was only one kuti in the forest, <laughs> and so people took it in turns to go and spend a bit of time there. And so, um, uh, and then it was if you when you completed your tenth rains, then you could go and spend three months in the forest at Chithurst. So people are uh, much more spoiled nowadays. <laughs> Back in the old days, we already had to, to work for our privileges. <laughs> so once uh, after ten years, uh, after the tenth rains, then you got to spend it in the. Uh, the forest at Chithurst and so during that time I was doing a lot of formal practice um, understandably and on one particular day I had this this uh, I've been sitting for a long 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 time many hours and this there was this mental image that that uh, appeared it was uh, and uh, it was quite a uh, sort of distinct picture of uh, standing in a cave mouth in the like the the entrance to a cave the cave is behind me and I'm standing and in front of me is this star filled sky like we have this beautiful clear uh, skies these days the moon and the stars and so it was like standing in the mouth of this cave and there was this um, uh, star filled sky and so uh, then <clears throat> I would feel this this sense of oh I want to just uh, Disappear and dissolve into the uh, into the sky, into the space. Um, but uh, as soon as there was the uh, the uh, uh, the I want feeling, then uh, I could feel this this like a a, a manacle, 
uh, a shackle around my ankle, like a, 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 like a chain around my ankle, so that uh, as I sort of, as I tried to move towards the, the, the space, then there'll be this feeling of being chained down. And then as I let go of, of wanting anything, then the, the, there was just the space and the stars and the, the, the sky and the, you know, the cave and the chain disappeared. And as soon as there was a me, then the, there was this, the, the, the body and the chain you know, took shape. So that went back and forth quite a few times. So it was like a clear um, message, at least, uh, that it seemed to be that that was um, <coughs> the, the uh, a kind of graphic representation the mind was making of, of yeah, you can't be free because you are the, <laughs> you are the cause of, of, of bondage. If there's no you, then there is freedom. If there's a you, then there's, uh, there's the, the, the chain uh, that's, that's uh, tying you down. And so that was uh, sort of message, <laughs> very clear. So that was, uh, but I think if I if I uh, if I can pick through my memories, I think that's probably the last time that I had any kind of a clear mental image like that. So that was 1988. Where are we now? 2016. So 28 years ago. So if you're not experiencing visions in your meditation, don't think you're missing out on, <laughs> or join the club. You know. <laughs> Don't think that you're particularly missing out on anything. So uh, is, I hope that's that's clear enough. I think Ajahn Chah explains quite uh, neatly. There's a, a momentary concentration of the kanika, uh, momentary uh, samadhi, and then uh, up and then upachara, the neighbourhood. It's called neighbourhood because it's like you're <coughs> in the vicinity of absorption. And then apana. Um, so that he doesn't use a. a um, a visual image to describe apana uh, samadhi, but it would be like being in your own home, sitting down and not moving, <laughs> not not wandering around in your own home, but rather um, you're you're in your own place and you're you're sitting still. You take on the 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 seat and and you're not going anywhere. So that would I say would would complete the the imagery that he's uh, he's been using there. And I feel it's it's a very handy way of of expressing it. And also I think it was helpful that description of you, you hear the sound, but it's as if you don't. It's like, yeah, there is a sense perception, but the mind is not making anything out of it. And I, I feel that's a, a good way of representing, where someone might say, yeah, well, you can't hear anything. It's like, and, and the way Ajahn Chah describes it is like, yes, there's, there's hearing, but it's, it's outside, it's other. It doesn't impact the, the, the stability of, of, of mind. Yes. Exactly, yeah. Yes. And, and in that, I mean, that's a, yeah, it can be quite confusing. Also, I don't think it's the case now, but say 15, year, 15 years ago, you know, jhana was the new hot thing. 
Jhana was the new hot thing. It was the new, the new kind of exciting item, and and so people were, um, you know, that was uh, that was what people were interested to explore or to um, to have experience of, and so it became sort of the the hot topic, uh, and and so. Um, when anything becomes a hot topic, I, I tend to move in the opposite direction as a character trait. But also, I think the, the point you make about people um, uh, you know, grasping their experience is, is the exact sort of the blind people and the elephant analogy of, yeah, the, 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 what I'm experiencing, you know, the elephant is very like a fan because you know, you're holding the ear, or the, the elephant is like a, a tree because you're holding the leg. or the, the elephant is like a paintbrush because you're holding the tail, and that uh, people, uh, 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 I feel it's, it's most helpful if you can see. Well, that's my experience, or that what makes that's what makes sense to me. But it doesn't mean to say that somebody else is somehow wrong or deluded, or, or their experience is is invalid. And uh, uh, over and over and over again, the um, what you, you come across in the canon is the Buddha points to that that attitude only this is true everything else is wrong is one of the major obstructions to to liberation to enlightenment and that it's important to look at that um that mindset that says well of course what Ajahn, Ajahn Tanisro is saying is complete rubbish because it's different from what I say <laughs> or Ajahn, Ajahn Brahm or Ayakema or that uh, you say well they they have their own way of speaking and their own experience um, you know that makes sense to me or that doesn't make sense to me uh, and and so that the the attention is is a looking at your own experience but also b looking at the tendency to to grasp an opinion and and say and take refuge in your opinion and then set yourself up as being uh, opposed or different from from others and that um uh, like uh, as a couple of days ago, I was talking about how in the in the late sixties and early seventies there was these sort of uh, different schools of meditation in Thailand and different monasteries. There were you know there were places that they they were you know insight only. And this is, uh, is you know, are you a Satipatthana monastery or are you, are you a uh, you know, are you a um, uh, a uh, pure insight monastery or are you a Jhana monastery? And that Arjun Chah worked really hard to try and um, point out that concentration and insight—you know—they work together. It's not as though Satipatthana is one thing and and uh, and Samadhi is another. It's like uh, he would point to that that very habit of of making a a camp, and then uh, the what was happening was that you're creating an identity out of that camp <laughs> of that that group. Think this, this is my team and we're good, you know. Like I, I, I support Chelsea or Everton or, or Manchester United or Watford, you know. And that uh, it's like that's my team, yay, you know, yay team. And it's it's a very uh, coarse mentality. It's not something that's liberating, but it, it, it's very human. And uh, it's uh, to to see that these are all speaking uh, they're skillful means that we can use to. Uh, to uh, liberate uh, the the mind, and that as soon as the, there's the grasping and a, a identification with a particular method or a way of expressing or a, a particular a form of practice, then that that very grasping is the is an obstruction, just like the the shackle on my <laughs> on my ankle in that uh, that mental image. Um, I was wondering about something related to, to thinking. My experience to, to calm the mind down more when you need to learn to when thoughts, plans, or the future memories when come up to drop them out mm -hmm. as possible. Mm -hmm. And especially recently, something I've been experiencing is a certain kind of fear that if one does this during meditation, let go of thinking, that then outside of meditation, one becomes dumber, so to say, because one thoughts are just going to disappear <laughs> because the mind makes a habit of that and that one will no longer be, a, be able to stay with a thought for a longer time because one has trained the mind to just 
draw thoughts. Is this something a legitimate fear, or <laughs> just, I mean, in your experience, uh, go for it and just draw thoughts relentlessly? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I haven't noticed it being a, a problem. Uh, you know, sometimes people will say they'll, they'll make that as a sort of casual remark that um, that uh, they say uh, that they might they might say oh you know, after that retreat I find it you know, really hard to to um, yeah, add up the yeah, add up my check you know the the uh, to balance my checkbook you know, that they oh it's, it's harder to do to do sums or whatever, just immediately after a, like a, doing a lot of concentration practice, but it comes back pretty pretty quickly. So I would say um, better to learn how to, to put most of the effort into learning how to, to not get caught up in thought, and then trust that your intelligence is is, un, is uninterrupted, and that just the the facility with with thinking will will return when you need it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, say that it's a, a problem. I haven't known it ever to be any kind of a of a problem for anybody. Yes. Yeah, it, it, it just uh, anyway it clears out a lot of the junk. So you got plenty of <laughs> of, uh, of of room and also greater flexibility. So I'll carry on with the uh, um, Satipatthana book. So this is continuing the section on concentration, absorption, and realization is the, is the name of this section here. Another term relevant to the present topic is purification of mind, citta visuddhi. This expression occurs in the Ratta Vinita Sutta, which enumerates a series of seven successive stages of purification, of purification which incidentally it forms the basis of uh, the um, Visuddhi Magga, that uh, ancient commentary um, of about a thousand years after the Buddha. Visuddhi Magga is based on that, that seven stages of purification from the uh, Ratta Vinita Sutta, which means the, the relay of chariots. The discourse compares each stage of purification to a single chariot in a relay of chariots. And for those who are not familiar with the word, a chariot is an ancient kind of um, vehicle that was pulled by, by horses they would use um, uh, often in war or um, traveling like a little platform that you'd stand on with one or two horses pulling it in front and so then the soldier would stand on the little platform and so they could uh, fight with other soldiers and that's called a, a, a chariot so it have a little platform with a, 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 um, a barricade uh, a little um, fence around the front and then wheels on either side, and then pulled by one or two or more horses. The discourse compares each stage of purification to a single chariot in a relay of chariots connecting two locations. In this sequence, purification of mind occupies the second position between the preceding purification of ethical conduct and the subsequent purification of view. So sila is ethical conduct, and then view is ditti. The fact that purification of mind precedes purification of view is sometimes taken to imply that absorption is <coughs> a necessary basis for realization. In this discourse, however, the question leading to the chariot uh, simile was not at all concerned with the conditions necessary for realization. Rather, the topic discussed in the Ratta Vinita Sutta was the aim of living the life of a monk or a nun in the early Buddhist monastic community. So they, the question has been asked, what's the point of monastic life? That's a, um, what's the purpose? Uh, why has the Venerable One gone forth and uh, under the, the uh, Samana Gotama? And what's the purpose of your, uh, what's the aim of your life uh, as a monk? 
The point was uh, that each purification, though a necessary step on the path, falls short of the final goal. To illustrate this, the chariot simile was introduced. The need to move beyond different stages of purification in order to reach the final goal is in fact a recurrent theme in the discourses. So the image is that, uh, say, you're trying to get from the city of, of Savati to Saketa, and uh, like uh, in, the, in the ancient times you'd have staging posts, like a staging inn where you could change your horses on your coach. The, the, the horses you've been using are tired, so then you, you, uh, <coughs> you change horses at a staging post and then you, uh, the, the vehicle, the, the, the stagecoach carries on to the next station. So it's a relay of seven chariots so that the chariot goes to one station and then have a, a, a change of horses and then to the next one, uh, to, to the, uh, and then you have another change of horses and then to the next stage. So it's a, a relay of chariots, so one after another, after another, after another, in a sequence of seven. So you get all the way from Savati to Saketa. So it's the image of you start off the, the first uh, the first section is ethical conduct, the second one is purification, uh, uh, the third one is the purification of uh, uh, sorry purification of the of chitta, then the purification of view and so on. Although the chariot simile in the Ratavinita Sutta does imply a conditional relationship between the various stages mentioned. To take this as stipulating that absorption must be attained before turning to the development of insight pushes the simile too far. Such a literal interpretation needs to regard the establishment of ethical conduct, concentration and wisdom as a matter of strict linear sequence, whereas in practical reality these three have a symbiotic character, each enhancing, enhancing and supporting the other. This is illustrated in the Sona Danda Sutta, which compares the mutual interrelatedness of ethical conduct and wisdom to two hands washing each other. So rather than uh, sila leads to concentration, concentration then leads to wisdom. And so as A creates B, B creates C, um, he's saying that doesn't really apply, and I would definitely concur with that from my experience but rather they, they work together and support each other along the way. And there's a very famous uh, Dhamma talk by uh, Ajahn Mahabur called um, uh, Wisdom Conditions Samadhi um, uh, that he gave in the early 60s that was one of the, the, uh, so the first um, say teachings out of the forest tradition uh, ever to be put into English. Um, and that is, uh, and uh, Thomas Merton, the Christian uh, Cistercian, Monk uh, 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 was very impressed by him and referred to it as a uh, spiritual masterpiece. And so that, uh, and in, in that, uh, Ajahn Mahabur is talking about in, in some detail about how the wisdom faculty and the, re the, the reflective, investigative faculty uh, of mind supports the the process of, of concentration. And uh, uh, so, and it's a it's sort of counter to the customary way of speaking about it because often they say sila uh, is a basis for samadhi samadhi is a basis for wisdom and they often talk about it in terms of a, can, a causes b, b causes c um, but uh, Venerable Analeo is pointing out that um, in a similar way that the, the suttas also don't, don't really support that linear you know, a, b, c model but rather the, the three wisdom and, and uh, sila and concentration her work together, and, and he, as he says, each, in, each enhancing and supporting the other. Besides, according to two discourses in the Anguttara Nikaya, it is impossible to purify concentration, that is to say purification of the mind, without having first purified right view, and so compared to purification of view. This statement proposes exactly the reverse sequence to the Rata Vinita Sutta, the purification of the mind preceded purification of view. On further perusing the discourses, one finds that they depict a variety of approaches to final realization. Two passages in the Anguttara Nikaya, for example, describe a practitioner who is able to gain deep wisdom, though lacking proficiency in concentration. Another discourse in the same Nikaya speaks of 
two alternative approaches to full realization the pleasant approach by way of absorption and the much less pleasant approach by way of contemplating the repulsiveness of the body. In addition, the Yuga Nada Sutta in the Anguttara Nikaya states that realization can be gained by developing either concentration or insight first and then developing the other or both can be developed together. This discourse clearly shows that although some practitioners will build up concentration first and then turn to insight, others can follow the reverse procedure. It would do little justice to these passages if one were to limit the approach to realization to only one of these sequences, presuming that the development of concentration invariably has to precede the development of insight. That's, a, 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 I think, a, a, an important point because... Uh, as I said, it's frequently said, well, no, you, you've got to have... And in, in this kind of sparring that happens between certain groups, they're saying, oh, no, you, you can't uh, really develop insight unless you've had concentration developed first. But, you know, that's, that's not uh, real insight. It's just you know, your kind of um, what they call vipassa think. It's just your, your chattering mind carrying on and you're, you're labeling it insight, but actually you know, you're only, you're only uh, interested in that kind of practice because you're a lousy concentrator. You know, you're, you've got no ability with concentration, and so you kind of uh, talk about uh, insight uh, as being more important. And then the, the uh, Vipassana people say, well, you're just obsessed with jhana, you're attached to, to, um, to peaceful states of mind, and, and you can get totally lost in, in jhana and concentration and... Uh, completely miss the point of, of developing insight. And that kind of um, sparring or contending or, or, or criticizing the other is exactly the kind of thing that you could almost, you, know, you can easily visualize the Buddha shaking his head going, oh man, <laughs> don't they listen? Uh, because it's uh, that sense of taking a position and uh, making your judgments uh, of another based on your own experience and not uh, considering well maybe their experience is that concentration is um, a priority and or the the, um, the the insight really does it really is genuine even though uh, I might, might not experience it that way and so um, the ever since the time of the Buddha there was people who favored uh, insight practice people who favor jhana practice there's, there's descriptions of um, when uh, uh, setting up the uh, things in the monastery to receive uh, groups of uh, of, uh, of monastics arriving from far away, um, there's this uh, uh, a very uh, uh, sort of relevant description of oh well the 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 the, the jhana practitioners they 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 can uh, stay together over here and the vipassana practitioners they can stay over here and the reciters they can stay over here. And uh, the ones who like to talk about building projects, they can stay over there. And the ones who wish just to hang out and waste their time, they can stay over there. You know? <laughs> so, so it's like, oh, nothing much changed in two and a half thousand years. <laughs> it's exactly how it works out for the Sangha meetings nowadays. So some things do not change, it would appear. So that's the end of that, uh, that uh, particular section. So any uh, questions or comments uh, coming from that? Yes. Venerable Anasia, yeah. Just was wondering how the term Kanika Samadhi is used. Is it only uh, in regards to the time span of the concentration? Is it also the depth or the level of concentration? It's usually the time. Um, I think the word Kanika literally means momentary or or... or brief um, and so uh, the implication would be that it was because it's brief it's not going to be terribly deep and uh, yeah, and, and that's what you know, experience points to that um, but uh, I think some of the, the, the comments that Lumpur Cha made was that yeah, it's not necessarily the case that, that just because it's brief it's it's shallow but uh, generally that would be that would be the case just uh, uh, if you're just stopping for a a, um, a pause along the way, you know that the sense of of uh, the depth of uh, inner quietness or stillness 
it, you still got. Oh, well, I'm 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 making a journey here. You know, I'm 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 kind of, I'm heading somewhere. So that yeah, there's a pause, but it's a very much a pause between two motions. If you see what I mean. So it's affected by that, just like uh, the silence. But if I'm if I'm speaking at a normal speed, the silence between two words is not really experienced as much silence. But if I speak very slowly, the silence is more obvious. So it's uh, that um, uh, I'm not sure of the uh, of the etymology of it, but I'm pretty. Uh, I th- I think it, it it's just talking about the um, shortness of time. Yes, uh, Nevin. Do you think that the um, insight of jhana is the insight of jhana? Yeah, is the insight of not self that actually there's no resting. So as you experience more and more jhanas, because obviously when you start um, gaining absorption, the ego would say, I've done it now, I've found a place where I can truly rest. But the minute one attaches to that with a sense of personality, mm-hmm. the jhana would start to break up. Not necessarily. Not, um, no, not at all. No, I mean, the, a, um, that's one of the the, sort of the the criticisms of the vipassana crowd, <laughs> or the, those who are attached to that, uh, would be that uh, that the sense of self can be very uh, um, very well hidden. That uh, and in Buddhist cosmology, the, all the Brahma gods, you know, the, they they still have a sense of self, but the they, the Brahma realms are are equivalent to the uh, the levels of deep absorption, so that the um, they are taken to be a, 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 the equivalent of so first jhana, second jhana, third jhana, fourth jhana, and then the formless jhana. So like the formless Brahma realms, the arupa loka, are equivalent to the or uh, of the they're the sort of counterpart of the formless jhanas. But the Brahma gods who are born in those realms, and using that as a as a sort of symbolism of it, that they can still have the mind very deeply uh, embedded in conceit and and a sense of I and me and mine, um, even though their experience is extremely refined, very very blissful, in even without a. Uh, um, uh, a physical body that they're 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 only made of mind. They have no rupa at all in the formless realms. So that in the in the lower the the uh, in, encounters between the Buddha and Mahabrahma, so uh, they're in the the lowest of the Brahma realms, the one that corresponds to first jhana. And so there are these encounters where the the the, the Buddha goes to visit this Brahma god called Baka. B a k a. Um, and uh, if it's uh, this is in a sutta called the, the, on the invitation of a Brahma in uh, Majjhima Nikaya, and the the Buddha had this Brahma god. It was a former teacher of his in a previous life, so he he uh, discerns that in the mind of this Brahma, there's the view has arisen that I am the I am the creator, I am omniscient, I am the uh, the um, the Almighty, uh, and so the Buddha. Out of compassion for his former teacher, who's got this conceited view, he goes up into that Brahma world and goes to visit Baka to um, offer some teachings. And uh, at first, the Brahma thinks, "Well, who, you know, who the hell are you? And, or not the who the hell are you, but you know, who the heaven are you?" <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and says, "You know, don't be ridiculous. I'm the I'm omniscient. I'm the Creator. I'm the Almighty." And the Buddha says, "Well, um, <clears throat> if that's the case, then." You can disappear from me, uh, and I wouldn't be able to see you. So, see if you can, and then he can't. And the Buddha said, "But because I am aware of other realms of being, and I've reached levels of accomplishment far greater and more profound than you have, then I can disappear from you, and you won't be able to see me." And Brahma said, oh, "Rubbish! Of course you can't." And then the Buddha does, and uh, <coughs> then the, and then he said, "Not only this, but there are actually there's 17 Brahma realms above your realm that you don't even know exist." 
not only are you not omniscient or the Almighty, but there's 17 whole realms higher than you are that you're not even aware of. And so it's a sort of putting the Brahma God in, in his place, but also he's, uh, it, it's uh, uh, interesting that he's a Brahma, but the mind is, is uh, still, uh, you know, so it's extremely wholesome, you know, extraordinarily pure and bright and wholesome state of being, but yet that conceit of, of identity of the Asmi Mana is like totally embedded that I, you know, I am the uh, and, and then there's another discourse in the uh, Kevada Sutta in the Diganikaya where this um, this uh, monk has got this question where is it that earth, water, fire and wind fade out and cease without remainder and then he, he goes into absorption and then goes through the uh, succession of different heavenly realms. He, first of all, he asks the 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 four great uh, the retinue of the four great kings, the Lokapalas, and then the four great kings themselves, and and then the devas of the Tavatinsa heaven, and each of them say, "Oh, we, we don't know." That's a very profound question. That's philosophy. That's beyond us. You know, you better ask upstairs. And he goes up to to Indra, and then to the devas of the Tusita heaven, the the, the the heaven of those who delight in. Uh, Creating and those who delight in the creations of others, and up to the, finally he gets up to the Brahma world, and then, and then uh, he speaks to the retinue of Mahabrahma, and they say, oh, well, we don't know, but you know, Mahabrahma, you know, he'll, if you're lucky, then Mahabrahma will appear, and and then Mahabrahma can can answer your question, and so then, <clears throat> eventually this light appears, and then the Mahabrahma manifests, and then this monk says. Um, uh, uh, oh great one uh, I have this question uh, can I ask where is it that earth, water, fire and wind fade out and cease without remainder and, uh, and, the Bra- and then the Brahma says I am Brahma the great Brahma the almighty the, the, the father and, and orderer of all things the, the, the creator and generator of all that are and are to be and then the monk says I didn't ask you that <coughs> honoured sir what I asked you was where is it that earth, water, fire and wind fade out and cease without remainder says, I am Brahma the great Brahma the almighty the creator the ordainer excuse me honourable sir but I didn't actually ask you that so of course this being a Buddhist story they do this three times over you know, we always do things three times and then after the third time Mahabrahma says, takes, him by the, takes him by the elbow and says you're embarrassing me in front of my retinue you know, I don't know the answer to this question, and so it's a kind of joke. It's a sort of uh, it's like a sort of a, uh, a kind of funny story about embarrassing the Brahma God. Um, he says, "Yeah, you know, you're um, you're making me look bad in front of my team here. You know, I don't ask the question. Besides, you're a disciple of the Buddha, so you've made a mistake in coming up here and asking me. When you should go and ask the Buddha because he's the one who understands these kind of things." So um, that these kind of stories indicate that uh, the mind can be, you know, it's, it's, it's cosmology, it's, like a, it's, a, it's a symbolic, these are symbolic tales. But what they point to is that the mind can uh, be absorbed in extraordinarily pure and wholesome, beautiful states, but yet have a, a, like an undercurrent of, of conceit, asmi, that what's asmimana, the conceit of identity, very, very firmly uh, embedded in that in that realm, and that it's not uh, seemingly sort of interrupting the bliss of of their uh, existence, but it's there, and so that that's one of the um, the, the, the I was telling the story about Achan Mahabua and Achan Man, where Achan Mahabua was as a young monk had experienced some of these these very very profound blissful states that would be equivalent to like going off to the Brahma realms like these uh, deep absorptions in uh, uh, and uh, he couldn't believe that that was not uh, something that was extremely beneficial and, and, and wholesome and worth developing but Ajahn Man had said to him well don't bother wasting your time on just spending hours and days in states of absorption but um, establish your attention at the at the um, uh, the upachara samadhi neighborhood concentration just an access concentration so enough concentration to watch the arising and passing away of the five khandas and that's where 
you will experience the the that's the most fertile ground for developing insight. So it's far more useful to reduce your level of concentration just to that access level and watch the arising and passing away of perceptions and thoughts and feelings. Because that's where insight will arise, that's where liberation will be will be found. And uh, I don't think you were here that day, um, but uh, Ajahn Mahabur disagreed with him, even though he was like a young bhikkhu. Uh, and Ajahn Man was a sort of the great arahant. Uh, Ajahn Mahabur took uh, took issue with him, and they had a, a disagreement that apparently was very loud and resonated through the forest. <laughs> and uh, uh, but uh, eventually, Ajahn Mahabur came back, and <laughs> because. He couldn't get back into those states anymore, and uh, he. Um, but then he also, even though he couldn't get back into those states, he uh, he realized that uh, perhaps his teacher understood something that he didn't, and that he uh, and he tells that that story that uh, that was uh, he was so um, impressed that by these powerful and bright ex- experiences, but. What Ajahn Mahm was pointing to is that, yeah, they are powerful and bright and, and extraordinarily beautiful and blissful, but that the, um, that blissfulness can mask the obstructions of, of conceit, of asmimana, and you know, that clinging to the I and me and mine. And so that that, that work of, of seeing the creation of identity, of, of I-making and mind-making, that's not being recognized and so that if you re- reduce the amount of concentration and, and look at the broader picture rather than being totally fixated on a single point to broaden the picture and then and then bring your attention to the the changing and selfless nature of experience then that will be what leads to to your your liberation so with the Buddha he was the only one really that had no resting all the rest, even though they didn't know it, on a psychological, some kind of level, had a resting place, whether it was in conceit or sense of self. He was the only one that had gone, you know, gone beyond. So um, that, that's what I was trying to say. Even the most pleasant state isn't total liberation, is it? Because no. There's still that, that attention to I've achieved something or an, yeah. an, an ego or something like that. Yeah. I was thinking the other day, um, after my operation, I was in quite a lot of pain, you know, quite severe pain in my operation. And it was quite huge. But when you look at pain, the body can be in extreme, quite extreme pain, or very prolonged pain. But the mind can be very still. Mm-hmm. And it, it was quite interesting that normally the resting place when you've got a problem is in the body and the self-identity, you know. But when that's focusing as quite severe, mm-hmm place you really don't want to go to, mm-hmm. then the mind can be very clear. And that sense of I am this body or mm-hmm. I'm this thought, this feeling, actually moves away. The pain stops that, doesn't it? It's, it's this sense of clarity sometimes. Yeah, pain gets our attention. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a, there's a very interesting little, it's, it's a unique passage that comes in the, it's a discourse called the Five and the Three, the Panchataya Sutta. Not punctured tire. The fi- puncture is five and tire is three. Puncture tire sutta. And uh, in, in it, at the end of it, the Buddha says so there, there can be a meditator who is, um, their mind is, is um, you know, fixed on, uh, on very you know, wholesome and pure, in a very wholesome and pure state. But it, it, if the thought, I am at peace, I am without clinging. I have realized Nibbana. The very way their mind phrases the experience demonstrates the clinging that is still there. And so that then uh, there's a a subtle bridge that needs to be crossed (laughs) where the the mind knows that if it's using the word language like I'm at peace, I'm... I'm, uh, 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 I am without clinging. I have realized nibbana. That the, the the mind that knows that that I am is just a convenient fiction. It's just a, a way of of speaking. Then there that clinging is is dropped. But if it's if if that's claimed and identified with, 
then it um, uh, it's going to be as as the Buddha said there. It demonstrates the clinging that still exists. Uh, intense pain sometimes can be very clarifying, as it, and then that sense of oh, there is the the pain, but there is no person who's the owner of it, or the 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 experience of it, or the the controller of it. It's just it can be so sort of strong. <laughs> Uh, that the normal sort of the casual way of referring to it or, or sort of relating to it is is not happening because it's 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 very intense, and that uh, and, and sometimes it can just be for a moment that it can be recognizing oh well this is incredibly painful but somehow the pain is not painful on its own it's just that there's a recognition that oh this is a a mind state. That is being created. That's all. Do, do, if you know what I mean, and that and even if it's just for a, like a fraction of a second. It's like, it, yeah, it's painful. But the something knows. Oh, this is just something. This is just a pattern of consciousness that's made by the mind. It's not really pain. Just like well, the same with pleasure. It's like, oh, this is a this is a pleasure experience. Oh, and then it's recognizing, oh, it's not actually really pleasant. It's just, this is the pleasure thing happening. That's what, that's what, so in a way it's separating the awareness from the the object. The, the awareness of pleasure is not, is not, it's not, it's not, a, 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 it's not pleasant. Or the awareness of pain is not painful. The the awareness is separate from the object. And, in, and sometimes when something is very intense, that, Separation, like Ajahn Chah uses this image of the oil and the water separating out from each other. Like, you know, the, the object is still it's still a painful object, but that the the mind has has separated from the from the object. So there's the knowing of that, and so the knowing is completely peaceful and clear. It's not it's not even sort of particularly sort of uh, it's not blissful or or, or Ecstatic, it's extraordinarily spacious and, and clear. So the object might be very pleasant or might be very painful, but uh, it's having the, the 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 heart having really let go of that, not identified with it. There's even though it's pain, it's somehow it's not painful in the same way. That makes sense. Okay, we can leave it there for today. Another hour has gone by. And my young Damakataya Sadu Karang Dadama You wrote for Ajahn Sumeru Intuitive Awareness. Ajahn uh-huh. did, did not translate it for whatever reason. Ajahn <laughs> Shut. She translated the whole book, but not your introduction. Oh, she okay. didn't say why or why not. But um, I'm kind of so. Ajahn uh, Asoko didn't have time to do it either. So he speaks French? I think he's French, uh, French American, Swiss, or something, and a mixture of. And so I thought, well, I will try, you know. And I'm um, enjoying it, actually. I mean, uh, you know, it's all, some bits are a little bit kind of uh, not clear to me, but um, I thought maybe if I send you the sentence or something, you know, when I get all the older bits that are not clear, the cinema. Sure. And, uh, yeah, so it, it's, it's fun to do. It's really, I don't really, really miss words, dictionary, and, uh, <laughs> and meanings. Uh, yeah, so I had to put a lot of effort into that. Uh, I put a lot of effort into oh that, God, uh, yeah. that introduction. It was yeah, yeah, it's really insightful, actually. That's why <laughs> I decided that it's really good that, uh, that, uh, to translate it, not to get away without it, because we're going to put it on the 
you know what I mean, in the public uh, domain, somewhere, public domain, and it'd be a shame that it goes out without it. Because you give such a good, um, in a way, sometimes it's a little bit blurry, but you're funny the way you write, you know, you know, sometimes. It gets translated into French, it doesn't quite, it doesn't bring the same into the English, you know. But uh, it's, it's what you call that. Idiomatic? Idiom, English idiom? Um, yeah, some words don't quite match in French, yeah. you know, so I have to find a way. So, but anyway, it's, for me, it was insightful as well, you know, to see how he's um, working on this consciousness, you know, this um, intuitive consciousness. So, um, I just have to okay, send it to you, and if you think that I'm tired, I'm No, I'm, uh, I'm reasonably uncluttered, because I had to get a lot of my own manuscripts sort of done for okay. already, so... In that case, I've got one thing, Jane Brown's introduction, you know, a forward, you know, forward. George asked me to do a forward for Jane Brown's letters, between her letters, I mean, the oh. letters of Jean Pena Wado. On it. Yeah. And it was like it, so I'm okay, I'm Jane actually rewrote the last paragraph, which was quite And uh, I thought, you know, since we have a kind of standard of somebody Yeah, I'm happy to look at it. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. it's not so big, You can actually give me some feedback because uh, for me, I'm not quite, you know, I'm never happy with this, you know, but uh, George happy to is look okay through. and Jane is okay, so. Thank you.